0: and you are listening to the Sex Within Marriage Podcast. You can find out more about us at Now, I don't know about everyone else, but this summer has been crazy for us. Uh, I think we've been camping more weekends than we've been home. In fact, as I record this, I'm sitting in my trailer at the Muskoka Bible Center where we're camping this entire week. As such, I'm trying to catch up. Uh, believe it or not, I haven't managed to answer questions yet from May or June, uh, so we're going to do that today and... Uh, I have quite a few still from July that I'm going to handle separately in another podcast episode um but this Muskoka Bible Center where we're staying has a daily kids program for two hours every morning, so I'm going to do my best to fit in a podcast recording session every day. Um, but because of that, I'm sitting in a trailer without my usual podcasting setup, so please excuse the sound quality. Uh, I don't have my regular mic, and uh, this one sounds a little hollow. And uh, I also don't have my usual multi-monitor setup, um, so. Uh, Yeah, if I seem a little out of sorts, it's because my environment's changed rather drastically from my usual setup. But today we're tackling uh, questions such as, how important is communication during sex? Is it wrong to not want your wife to lose weight? Uh, If somebody asked if they should have an affair, how do you find time to have sex when you have young children? Does premature ejaculation affect your sex drive? What to do if your husband won't quit masturbating alone? Uh... Is it still considered cross-dressing if it's for comfort? Uh, There's a question about male chastity or female-led relationships, and whether or not you should suggest a boob job to your wife. And finally, a question about language in the bedroom. So today we're answering those questions from our Have a Question page that were submitted anonymously. If you have your own question that you'd like to have answered, you can ask them there. Uh, Link is in the show notes or on the blog post. all right so let's get on to our question this person asks uh during penis and vagina intercourse do you ask your wife whether or not she's satisfied and whether you can ejaculate do you tell her that you're close to ejaculation do you ask your spouse whether they're enjoying or enjoyed the sexual union do you ask your wife if she's ready for piv and he says i usually ask my wife to guide my penis inside her vagina okay so i think this answer will change depending on the couple I also think the methods of communication change from person to person. So for example, I generally don't need to ask my wife if she's either approaching or has had an orgasm. Um, I, I can just tell from her body language and the way she's breathing and the way she's moving and everything. Um, but I mean, sometimes they do kind of sneak up on me. Um, and sometimes they sneak up on her too. Um, but more or less, I can tell where she when she's close or about to go over. So while she may not explicitly state that she's about to orgasm, her body communicates this in a variety of ways. Uh, that I think would change from person to person. So for some, verbal communication is distracting. For others, it's uncomfortable. And for those who find it uncomfortable, I'd suggest getting comfortable with it because while you may choose not to communicate verbally um, during sex, and uh, I think. If you do this, though, you're missing out on a huge uh, foreplay slash arousal tool. Um, but let's say if you prefer not to communicate, uh, I still say having the ability to communicate about sex, uh, even during sex, is pretty crucial. As for the specific questions, uh, those will also depend on the couple. I know for us, if, she, if I ask if she's enjoying herself, that would be a bad move, but um, it will either show that I'm not paying attention to her enough and so I don't really know what's going on, or it will distract her by forcing her brain to switch into an analytical mode instead of um, just enjoying it um, so that she can assess whether or not she's enjoying herself. And that pulls her out of the actual enjoyment and completely distracts her. So, yes, I think the... uh, Ability to be able to communicate during sex is a need. However, what that communication looks like from couple to couple will change and might change from session to session even. All right, question two starts with, is this wrong with me? So I'm one of those guys that likes plus size women. I'm very happily married to a stunning BBW, that is a big, beautiful woman. My wife is very confident, and we have a great sex life. She doesn't hide her body, and is always naked around me in the bedroom. I think she's more sexy now than when we were first dating. She was thick then, and just as I thought she couldn't get any hotter, she gains weight, and my eyes are glued to her. She does want to drop a few pounds, though, which I admit I don't want her to, since I think she's at her sexiest. One day I asked her if I could have some naked pictures of her so I could always be able to see her body at her most beautiful... I know that I will still find her attractive, but there's something special about her body now, and I always want to have a piece of it. She said that she has a problem because she didn't want me having to go back to her fat nudes to get aroused for her. I told her that it wouldn't be that way, but I want to be able to keep her at her sexiest. Plus, I see it as a way of having my own playboy, but of my wife, which is a turn-on for me. She may let me have some sexy nudes of her, but whatever your thoughts, is this wrong? So, yeah, I... I understand her fear. Ultimately, it sounds like she's worried that you're more attracted to her body than her as a person. So, by pushing this agenda for the reasons you're stating, you're not doing a lot to abate that fear. You're basically saying, well, this is the body I fell in love with, so I don't want it to change because I won't love it as much anymore. And even though you say, yes, you'll love her just as much, uh, I think in her mind there's this kind of separation that. you know, you're attracted to her body separately than the way that you're attracted to her. So to be honest, I'm curious if there's a porn habit here that specifically includes larger women that's feeding this mentality. Uh, I don't have a way to ask, so I won't assume, but it's a suspicion. Um, now, generally, our preferences tend to shift towards whatever whoever we're focused on. So if we focus on our spouse in the present, then our preferences tend to shift more towards finding them uh, more and more attractive as they were, they basically become our new standard of beauty. However, if you continue to focus on your wife in the past or how she is now, um, then as she loses weight, she'll continue to drift away from where you're choosing to put your focus, which is arguably uh, not her, but rather a memory of her. Unfortunately, these pictures may have the same effect, anchoring your focus in this past. So. This ultimately might cause you to be less attracted to your wife. So, is it wrong to enjoy the size of your wife is now? No, I don't think so. Uh, is it wrong to say to stay anchored to a snapshot of her in history? Well, I think it's likely unproductive. I think God made our brains malleable in this way for a reason, so that we can shift and adapt to life as things change. If we choose to avoid using that neuroplasticity, that ability to change our brain, and it ends up harming our relationship, well, then that doesn't seem right. So ultimately, my guess is that your wife wants to lose weight to be healthier. My wife is also trying to lose weight to be healthier. So am I. Uh, and it's that desire to be healthier that I find attractive even more than the body changes. Uh, so I would say be open to find new ways to be attracted to your wife. Life will change and you will, as will your wife. So just let it change and let your brain change with it. All right, our next question is, should you or shouldn't you have an affair? So this person writes, a Dear J.A., I'll try to keep this brief and just give you the facts and the question. I've been married for 40 years. We have two grown married adult children and five grandchildren. My wife and I were both virgins when we got married. We have sex now only once a week, which she feels like she's doing me a favor. I have a high sex drive and hers is very low. All throughout our marriage, my wife has made snide and cutting remarks to me, and everything is always my fault. Since we got married, she knew she could do that because we were, in quotes, married, and divorce was out of the question. Now I feel stuck to be destined for this kind of treatment for the rest of my life. I begin to wonder, what did I miss? If we try to talk about it, she only gets very mad and turns things around to make it my fault once again. She's completely let herself go as far as dressing sexy, looking sexy, or thinking or talking about sex because we are, quote, married. So I just feel... Get this feeling of, too bad, so sad. Am I just stuck? Question. So should I have an affair, which I know is wrong, because I feel I have no choice? What did I miss all these years? Decent treatment? Plenty of sex? Other? So these situations are hard. What's harder, uh, what makes it harder, is that you've waited so long to deal with it. Uh, I wish people would get help at the beginning of these dynamics when they start to set in. Uh, Forty years in is a really big ship to try and move. It's not impossible, definitely seen it done, even longer marriages, but it's, it's not easy. So the good news is you are at least still having sex. That makes it a fair bit easier than trying to restart a sexless marriage. But the first issue is that an affair won't help. Yes, you may have some temporary fun, but at one cost. what cost? If you get found out, which is likely, um, You will ruin your reputation with your children and your grandchildren, not to mention potentially destroying any chance of improving your marriage. Um, Leaving that sort of legacy to your family could have ramifications for generations. Um, That's aside from the damage you'll do to your relationship with God, because you know this is wrong. Secondly, it doesn't solve any of the underlying issues. You're abandoning your wife to her sickness, and yeah, I'm going to call it that, She's she's being selfish and contemptuous, but you're also side- sidestepping your own. Because if your wife's sickness is contempt, then yours is passivity, from the sounds of it. You spent 40 years taking this sort of treatment and ending up just feeling stuck. It's unlikely your wife will change if the dynamic stays stable. Because why would she? She has everything that she wants. Uh, she gets what she wants out of it and feels like she's doing all right. So as long as she can blame you for everything and you just accept it, Or at least don't challenge her on it then she feels that she's in the right so i think if you want things to improve and change it's time to shift this dynamic it's time to learn to set boundaries it's time to become more personally powerful and less passive at best your wife will realize that she can't keep going the way that she is at worst you'll learn to accept the things outside of your control but will also be able to change the things within your control which is quite a bit so towards this end uh, i suggest two books um, the first is Boundaries in Marriage by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Uh, this book is generally the go-to for people who want to learn about boundaries. It's a good start, but in all honesty, uh, I deal with too many people who read this book and then miss the point. Um, but it, it, it's a good foundation. The second one is Keeper Love On by Danny Silk. Um, this entire book isn't dedicated to boundaries, but, um, uh, the other topics that it touches on lay a better groundwork, I find, for understanding what a boundary is. Actually, I'd probably suggest you read this one first and then go read Boundaries in Marriage to go deeper in the topic of boundaries once you have a good foundation. Uh, now, I mean, there's a lot to deal with um, that's really hard to answer in a, sim- a sim- simple question. Uh, I'd love to ask a bunch of questions. Uh, please send me an email, and I'm more than willing to try to help out. Um, something you should know is that it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. Um, if you start upsetting the balance of your marriage, she's probably going to get uncomfortable and then angry. And while that feels awful, it is generally actually a good sign she's trying to make you back down from changing and you just kind of have to push through that. So just a warning and a heads up. Um, but it might be good for you to get some support and actually have somebody walk through this with you. The next question is, how do you find time to have sex when you have young children? Especially when you're breastfeeding and the baby wakes up frequently during the night so that you're super exhausted and always getting interrupted in the act. I'm guessing you might not be a proponent of co-sleeping, yet it's typical for many cultures and somewhere in circumstances where it's necessary. For example, a lack of bedrooms slash beds. I've heard of other people's tips for for this using other rooms or different times of day, etc. So I'm curious what the Christian perspective of all this is. So I'm sure the, uh, quote unquote Christian perspective of this is all over the map, but I can give you mine as I'm a Christian and hopefully that counts. Um, so we've had five children. My wife has breastfed them all for at least a year and we co-slept for all of them for quite a long time. So all that to say, yes, I'm a proponent of co-sleeping and breastfeeding and all that stuff. Um, I'd also be lying if I didn't say it was a very trying dozen years or so. You know, my four-year-old still crawls into bed with us some mornings. Um, usually not me. It's usually after I've already out of bed. But so, how do you find time? Um, you don't. You you make time. You have more quickies than marathon sessions. If you have any marathon sessions at all, you look for opportunities when the baby has fallen asleep, uh, when they're napping, etc. I remember sometimes if we were driving home from somewhere and a baby was asleep in a car seat, we would just leave them in the car seat. Like, we'd bring the car seat in the house, but then leave them strapped into the car seat. uh, And then we'd have sex. Um, Because, um, yeah, it's hard to transfer a baby from a car seat to a bed without waking them up sometimes. And sometimes we had sex with a baby on the bed asleep. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, It can be a bit awkward sometimes, and sometimes they wake up, um, but it's not the end of the world. They're a baby. They don't remember. Um, And you get better at stopping and starting sex, uh, better at recovering from interruptions. Um, Sometimes when you stop, you don't get to start again. It happens. We've had sex interrupted by a kid throwing up and then it's the next hour of cleaning up their room and changing the sheets and everything and getting them ready for bed and getting a bowl so they can throw up into that next time. And sometimes it just does not happen. Um, you get better at that too. Sometimes you get better at letting the baby cry in the crib because one of you is close to orgasm and an extra 10 to 30 seconds won't make much of the difference to the baby, but it'll make a huge difference to your marriage. Um, and sometimes we just put some blankets on the floor and put the baby to sleep on the floor so that we wouldn't wake them while the bed was moving. The point is, you can find ways to manage it. It takes uh, being willing to be more adaptable and said some of those silly notions about not having sex in the same room as a baby. Uh, I mean, after all, if you were having sex while your wife was pregnant, then you've been having sex much closer to a baby than a foot or two away on the bed. So, yeah, Um there are lots of ways to do it. You just kind of have to shift your mindset a bit and find those opportunities. All right, so our next question is basically, does premature ejaculation affect sex drive? Now, this question is massive, which I love. I love all the context and everything. It's fantastic. Plus, this person uh, gave a wonderful testimony. And uh, she actually wrote in a question and then later through the anonymous question again, wrote in basically the answer that they had found themselves. So I'm just going to read the question Uh, an excerpt from her question and then an excerpt from her answer and if you want to read the whole thing you can go to the blog post and read the uh, wall of text that she sent so uh part of her question was my question is about premature ejaculation i just wondered if it affects sex drive or if sex drive is affected by it i think if we had more sex it would get better but right now it's a bit of an issue i'm not unhappy but obviously would like it to be longer. I'm also wondering if it affects my chances of conception. We are trying for another baby and it has taken us a little longer than we'd like, but we are trusting God to for success this year. And then later she wrote back saying, "Since I wrote to you, I've decided to insist my husband started taking the L-arginine I bought a while ago. I told him it's for energy, but in fact, in the days when things were at their worst, I was researching things my husband could take to help him be more intimate. Two things that I came across were that were deemed to actually work and were safe, natural, were red ginseng, which is great for libido in both men and women, and L-arginine, which is great for a range of things, including extra boost, ED, PE, and libido. Unlike Viagra, L-arginine is safe and can be taken by people with heart issues and it lowers blood pressure. We've taken them before with limited success, but after writing to you, I remembered them, and he was complaining about a few ailments, so I told him to take the tablets to help him with those and give him more energy and more energy he has the pe issue is definitely gone and he's definitely more interested now which is fantastic so uh basically it sounds like she solved her own problem uh, yes l-arginine and red sing do help some people with regard to ed not everyone unfortunately um but quite a few people i've not heard about it helping with premature ejaculation but uh that's great that it did Uh, That's typically uh, more of a psychological issue than a physical one. Uh, could be that he thought it might work, which made him stress less about it, and then that solved the issue. Or maybe there is some actual um, physical reason for why he was having premature ejaculation. It's hard to say. Uh, Nevertheless, I'm glad you found a solution. All right, next question. What if your husband won't quit masturbating? So I've read some of your responses to questions regarding masturbation and marriage. I'm wondering... What if you've had the conversation with your husband multiple times over the years, but he still won't stop? I've expressed how his masturbation and porn watching hurts me, and I've tried to work with him to stop, but he won't. He sees no problem with it, and it's been seven years. What do I do? It's destroying me emotionally. I don't want to divorce because we have children, and I think it would be damaging for them, but I'm seeing no other way. In your opinion, is divorce the answer? I've prayed to God about this many times, but I just don't know what to do. Any advice that you can give to me would be helpful. Thank you. So I have two answers to this, depending on whether or not that destroying me emotionally is an exaggeration, or you mean it literally. But first, I want to make a point. Uh, It's that we can't control other people. Control is the opposite of love, and it doesn't work well anyways. He will not change for you. He will only change because he wants to. So... One could say that he's chosen porn over you, but that's not quite true since you've been telling him for seven years that you don't like it, and uh, he's kept doing it. So basically, he loves having porn and you, even if it's a less happy you. So I'd guess he loves porn more than you feeling emotionally safe. Uh, I think that's fair to say. My point is, he doesn't think it's wrong to watch porn, so you can't hold him accountable to standards that he doesn't agree with. As well, you promised to love and support him in sickness and in health, Here's his sickness. So if you leave, be clear, it's not because of his actions, it's because of your reaction to his actions. Which isn't to say that leaving is wrong. I'm just saying, uh, I think sometimes we flip these things around. So if your reaction is seriously destroying uh, you emotionally, then separate. Uh, be clear why. Take a break from your marriage so that you can get help and pull yourself together. Um, and I don't mean that to sound uh insensitive or this is that this is all your issue or anything Uh, i literally mean like take a break so that you can be healthy and get in a good spot um this will also give him the opportunity opportunity to decide whether he wants you or porn because he's never actually had to face that choice seriously yet if he chooses not to quit and you feel you can't ever go back and keep your sanity then consider a divorce so that you can set him free to do what he wants to do which is be with porn uh it's not loving to kind of keep him in this limbo that he's in, or it would be in if you separate. So uh, accept that you can't keep your vow and set him free. So someone is not going to like that. I said that, so let me be clear. Yes, I'm well aware that he's not keeping his end of the vow either, but this isn't a contract. Uh, it's two separate confidence um, Just because he broke his doesn't mean that she's free of hers. Uh, that's how I view marriage anyways. If he decides to leave, then let him go. Uh, you can't keep a covenant with someone who doesn't want a relationship. But he wants to. If he wants to stay married, then it's not him who's leaving the marriage. Now, if you decide after separating that you'd rather have him, including his porn use, than not having him as your husband at all, then go back to him and learn to forgive him and keep forgiving him. Uh, recognize that his moral compass is not the same as yours. Uh, this is going to cause a lot of heartache, um, but you can decide to either stay and bear it or say you can't handle it and leave and let him have someone else who potentially can. That's my take. Of course, you have to decide for yourself what you're willing and able to do. If you can't keep the vow, if it will destroy you, then choose which is more important to your your life or your vow. Um, that's That choice will be different for different people. So as far as I can figure it out, that's the biblical answer taken from all the writings on the subject. Uh, we kind of have a mix of... If they want to stay married, stay married, and if they break their vows, then you can leave. And this is the only way I can kind of see the two in harmony. Um you basically you do what you can bear. And there's no shame in saying that you can't stay. Uh but be sure it's an I can't rather than an I'd rather not. And that's the best sense I can make about all the scripture on the topic of divorce and leaving and breaking vows and things like that. All right, The next question is about cross-dressing, which this keeps coming up again and again from time to time. And uh, this person writes, I read with interest your cross-dressing blog post. I understand your position regarding dressing as a woman, wig and all. Do you think this extends to wearing women's panties? Uh, The argument is that women's panties are sexier and more comfortable than men's underwear. The individual is not trying to look or feel like a woman, but be more comfortable. So the men and women in our uh, support group, uh, for our blog uh, seems suspicious about this one. For one, no one, uh, neither men nor women seem to think that women's underwear was more comfortable than men's. Um, that seemed a ludicrous statement. Um, secondly, the general suspicion was that this is a way to rationalize cross-dressing. So ultimately act in accordance with your own convictions, but I'll admit I'm suspicious about the motivation, motivations for this one as well. And I think that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, Question number eight. Uh, this person writes, sorry if this is too bizarre. I promise that I'm asking in good faith. And he says this because sometimes, um, actually quite a bit of the time I get questions and I pose them to our support group in our forum and, uh, they go, this is a joke, right? Like, I, I think they're just trying to get a rise out of you. And, uh, I don't, I don't think so. I think most of the time people are actually asking in good faith. They, they have serious questions. They're just so far out of the range of what most people deal with that they seem ludicrous. So, anyways, this guy's right. Sorry if this is too bizarre. I promise that I'm asking in good faith. What is your take on male chastity or female-led relationships? Can this be biblical or part of a God-fearing, healthy Christian marriage? I'm asking because I really don't know. Thank you for all the work you do for us earnestly striving for better marriages. So it's not too bizarre a question for me. Uh, In fact, I'm pretty sure I've dealt with this before, but I can't remember if it was on the blog or the podcast or just in an email. So anyone who's been reading my blog for a few years uh, remembers way back. My wife and I co-wrote a sermon that we preached in our home church about uh, husbands being the head of the household. I posted it in two parts, which you can get the links in the show notes. Uh, The point is, I'm pretty pro-husband-led marriage based on both uh, the Bible and the physiological evidence, as well as my own personal experience of trying to be egalitarian when we first got married and having that fall into a mess, plus a lot of other husbands and wives going through similar experiences. Um, I've yet to see a marriage where uh, the wife is leading and it's happy. Um, I've had a few people email me that say, yes, ours does. But I've never seen them, and I've never come in contact with them. Uh, every time I talk to a wife who's leading, um, and actually have more of an in-depth conversation, they tend to be miserable. Um, as well, I did a survey a few years ago, and it showed that uh, marriages where the wife leads are far, likely, far more likely to be sexless, and almost always end up having a very low frequency of sex. Which, I mean, sex isn't the end-all and be-all of marriage, but it tends to be a pretty good barometer. Uh, as well, overall, marriage satisfaction tended to be much lower, too. So for me, I think it's dangerous. Uh, it doesn't mean it can't theoretically work for some, but it just doesn't make sense to me, Both neither from a, uh, a biblical model nor from a psychological model nor from any of my personal or anecdotal experiences with others. Um, so I'd say be careful. Next question is, uh, should I suggest a boob job? So my wife and I have two kids, ages 2 and 4, and have both discussed at length and have decided that we are finished having children. I've even gone out and recently gotten a vasectomy, so there's no turning back. In other words, don't argue with them, because I know somebody's going to comment about, ah, oh, you shouldn't have done that, uh, but whatever. Uh, my question has to do with my wife. She really wanted to breastfeed both of our kids and did so, but... and. I know I may sound shallow here. The breastfeeding has taken a toll on her boobs. I've never said anything as I fear that she would feel like I'm unhappy with her body. But she has even mentioned a couple of times that her boobs have lost quite a bit of their former look. Would it be wrong for me to suggest a boob job? It's not like she's going to be breastfeeding anymore. I think she would actually boost her self-image and admittedly, selfishly speaking, it would be fun in the bedroom as well. Do you think I should try suggesting this? Is there a tactical, tactful way to go about this without being offensive and seemingly dissatisfied with her body? So here's another question that splits Christianity. Uh, Some will tell you to go for it. One of our supporters compared it to getting braces that fix children's teeth, uh, I tend to fall in the other camp that our sense of self-esteem should come from who we are, not what we look like. As another supporter said, uh, are the two of you planning to surgically maintain both of your bodies the way that they were when you first got married? So in other words, like you're going to continue to get older and older and older, and your bodies are going to continue to sag and degrade as they do because we're human. And there are also risks to these surgeries. I don't quite see it like braces on a child because braces are temporary and external, whereas an implant is a permanent internal synthetic addition to the body. Now, that comes with some inherent risks and dangers, and sometimes those risks are worthwhile, like with pacemakers and things like that, but for me, aesthetics aren't enough to justify the risk, but that's just my personal opinion. The other concern is that part of her issues with self-esteem might be because she's picking up that you aren't happy with her body if you bring it up, that might solidify that thought that you won't be happy with a less than ideal body. Now, while implants might shore up that sense of self-esteem temporarily, as you both age, the rest of your body is going to start seeing other signs of wear. I mean, that's life. But now with this new confirmed suspicion that you are going to be very concerned about how she looks, it's going to degrade her self-esteem over time. And she'll be more and more concerned with how you see her. Um, And I have no idea how to bring this up in a way that won't seem like you are dissatisfied. One of the people in our group said, you know, wait till she brings it up and then you can just say, yeah, if that's what you want to do. Um, But for me, uh, I'd put my efforts into building up her self-esteem in ways that show you are more concerned about who she is as a person than what her body looks like. And it's that love for her that forms your view of her body, which I mentioned in a previous question. All right, our last question is about language in the bedroom. So they write, Hi, J.D., I have a question about language in the bedroom. In our household, we have very strict rules regarding cuss words but, and that they are not allowed. However, a while back, we ordered your sex floration list, and it got me thinking that it might be hot to use some choice words in the bedroom during sex. I'm not talking about using the Lord's name in vain, the F word, or anything hurtful or degrading. I know the Bible has some verses about not letting... Any corrupt communication come out of your mouth, and I'm assuming that counts for all areas of life. What are your thoughts? Thanks. I think this is one of those areas where there's a lot of confusion in Christianity. I actually wrote about this in a section of my Introduction to Talking Dirty ebook, uh, which I'll link to as well. Um, so I'm just going to cut and paste um, this section out of it, and I think it answers the question fairly well. So this was titled "Is it okay to use in quote dirty talk?" So I've been challenged a couple of times by people saying that they don't believe Christians should use coarse language. Too often, we use modern words in order to interpret biblical commands. For example, we all know that one of the Ten Commandments is not to swear, right? Well, yes and no. Swearing used to be considered taking God's name in vain, Exodus 20, verse 7. And that's what we are forbidden as Christians to do. However, more modern swearing typically describes vulgar language instead. And most people wouldn't consider taking God's name in vain as swearing at all. It's become commonplace, sadly. Another warning is not to curse, for example, in James 3, verse 10. But again, our modern language gets in the way. Cursing used to mean pronouncing a curse on someone, wishing them ill, or making uh, known your hatred for them. Today, cursing means the same thing as swearing does, just using vulgar language. And so we have Christians who don't use vulgar language, but who curse and take God's name in vain. Uh, And everything's kind of gone backwards there. Now, I I agree that Christians should not use vulgar language in their daily lives. It sends out the wrong message to non-Christians about our love and respect for God's creation. However, in the bedroom behind closed doors, I believe certain words can be reclaimed. After all, I don't think words are good or evil It's rather how we use them, the context, the tone, and the intent behind them. Uh, Even the Bible can be used inappropriately. Uh, And uh, in the province next to mine in Canada, in Quebec, which I actually grew up five years in Quebec, uh, some of the worst swear words uh, there, or the most vulgar language, are derived from things related to the church because of their whole history of the church um, kind of having a theocracy and ruling with an iron fist in Quebec. So uh when there was kind of this whole rebellion going around, their language shifted so that uh, words related to communion, to the tabernacle, the sacraments, chalices, uh, pretty much anything said uh, about the church with the right inflection are considered extremely rude language, like worse than the F word almost. Uh, so the point is, uh, words can be used inappropriately and uh that's wrong. Um, So what is the appropriate use for these words? And I think that's up to each couple to decide whether or not certain words are appropriate in their own bedroom between the two of them. Used appropriately in the bedroom you know, between spouses, uh, these words can take on a different meaning than our culture gives them. My wife never uses foul language. However, inside the bedroom, these same words, when occasionally spoken by her, bring excitement and passion. Uh, I'm honestly not sure if it's because it's taboo or naughty or because of the rarity or because it's exciting to see a spouse so lost in passion that they step kind of out of their normal character and are vulnerable or if that's she's willing to push her boundaries to turn me on um, maybe it's all those above but in our bedroom these words take on new meanings they convey love and passion they become special almost a secret between us that isn't shared by no one else in that way i think christian couples can reclaim some of these words and use them in the appropriate context so if you want to read more about that topic, I suggest taking, checking out our introduction to Talking Dirty ebook. And that's it for today. If you have questions uh, of your own, you can ask it on our anonymous Have a Question page, or just email me at j at com. I kind of prefer that because then I can ask questions in return and get more context, and we can have kind of a dialogue more than me kind of hoping to guess what you said just based on your question. Uh, as well we are getting very close we're 93% of the way there to our next supporters goal Uh, if you have an interest in joining our supporters community and forum uh, to show your support and get access to these questions as they come in rather than having to wait a month or two or sometimes three uh As well, you get an amazingly sex-positive Christian community, then um, check out our supporters page at uncoveringintimacy.com slash donate. That's it for now. We'll talk to you later.